the areas that I want to just concentrate on are the COVID, the effects of COVID, how God is using COVID to further his purpose, to look at the peace accords and to look at post-Brexit potentials. And then if we just have time at the end, just a very brief look at Russia and her expansion in the Middle East. Now we've seen some absolutely remarkable events in the past few months, historic events that our brothers and sisters have been waiting to see for centuries, millennia. And we've been very privileged to see the hand of God working among the nations and bringing about that preparation for the coming kingdom. So the thing about COVID has been its disruptive effect. And I believe that God has brought this at this particular time because it is his means of speeding up events. Uh, it, we've had far worse pandemics, but the... Uh, sorry, my screen is not moving on. But uh, the point about COVID is it's worldwide spread. It has affected virtually every kingdom upon earth. There are just a few nations which claim they haven't had COVID. And God uses pandemics. We know that in AD 70, uh, in the Mount Olivet prophecy, God told the disciples that in this coming time when Jerusalem will be destroyed, there will be uh, earthquakes and famines and pestilences, fearful sights and great signs from heaven. Uh, and we know also that God is going to use pestilences uh, in his destruction in the time of Armageddon. And so in Ezekiel chapter 38, it tells us that I'm going to plead against Gog with pestilence and with blood in order that the nations might know that he is Yahweh. So it's not surprising that we are seeing God using pestilence now before the Battle of Armageddon in order to move forward his uh, plan and purpose. Now, COVID... Um, has, as I say, affected everybody. It has come from China and most of the world blames China for not notifying uh, of this coming pandemic. And we now understand that it probably started in China way back in September of last year. And to begin with, uh, it was suppressed, wasn't it? And so China has been blamed by the world uh, for this pandemic. And it has reinforced when China suddenly shuts down and supplies couldn't be fetched out of China, uh, the reliance that the nations were placing on China was a very misplaced one. And so COVID has driven nations to seek alternative suppliers. And uh, as a result, you in Australia have, are experiencing the retaliation that China is uh, holding out against Australia as Australia seeks to find uh, other partners because China is your 
biggest export market. And so because of that retaliation um, and the drying up of many exports that you normally make to China, then Australia has been forced um, to look to other places. And part of those countries was India and America and Britain. And, and so we see in a wonderful way how COVID has put that extra pressure, not only on Australia, but other nations too, to seek alternative markets. And in doing so, it has pushed the young lions to look to other young lions to share their markets with. And uh, just in the news on uh, Monday, wasn't it, that uh, you spent half a billion dollars on strengthening tech ties with the quad countries um, because of China. Uh, and that's Australia, US, Japan and India. So three of the Commonwealth countries there. So interesting how God uses these forces. And I believe it's come just at the right time. Uh, it's caused a worldwide slump in business. And so all prices have slumped. This has affected many countries, but especially uh, the Middle East. And then on top of that, the US election results uh, don't seem to have turned out as the Middle East countries would have liked. And so because they now realize that the problem in the Middle East with Israel and the Palestinians is not Israel's part, but the Palestinians, it is their corruption and their refusal to negotiate, that it's their fellow Arabs that are causing all the problems. And because of the threat of Iran, they need help. And so Israel has this amazing defense technology. It is driving them to look to Israel to be their defense. And so again, COVID is just one of those weapons that God is using to speed up that process of the Arab nations looking to Israel. And Israel there is a willing partner. She wants to trade with the Arab countries. She wants peace. And so we see the wonderful hand of God. And I believe that this is also in preparation for the Arab nations to be blessed in the kingdom age. God is already making preparation for the kingdom age. And this is what is so amazing. It tells us how close we must be to the coming of the Lord Jesus. And COVID also highlighted that every country was on its own, especially we over in the West and the uh, EU. Uh, the EU was supposed to be the one that looked after all its members, but that was far from the case. Uh, every EU member had to try and find its own personal protection uh, equipment um, and they weren't for sharing one country with another for quite a time, highlighted the fundamental weaknesses of the EU. And of course, it, it uh, was at a time when Britain was struggling with uh, talks, negotiations, trade talks with the EU and what it did, it reinforced in this country that the EU isn't what it claimed to be. Um, it, it is something that Britain is far better to be away from and be independent from. And, and so 
it has this strange effect that as far as Britain was concerned, it is driving Britain away. But as far as the other EU members, or most of them anyway, it's driving them to a closer union, which, you know, both are two effects which we are expecting, that Britain should not be part of the EU, and the EU should come together to be the beast system of the latter days. So we see that with the these pressures and the talks turning sour because of the EU countries not wanting to give up what they have at the moment. Um, Britain's saying, no, we're going to be independent. We're going to have our own rules. And the chances of talks are getting slimmer at the moment. But again, it's driven Britain to speed up her talks with the Commonwealth countries uh, and the wider world. And again, this is what we've been looking for, isn't it? That Britain has this role as the merchant power of Tarshish in the latter days to be working with Israel, to be working with the Commonwealth, to be working uh, in the Middle East. Uh, and COVID has been one of those extra pressures that God has used to drive this thing forward. Uh, and interestingly too, we see the effect of COVID on Iran. Because of the sanctions that America had been placing on Iran, her economy had been tanking and she was in serious trouble. So where did she turn to? She turned to China and sold her soul to China. And that meant there were many Chinese coming and going, uh, setting up railways and roads and uh, business ventures in Iran. And of course, they brought more than their technology. They brought with them the COVID. And so Iran has been very badly hit because uh, of all these Chinese workers bringing in COVID to Iran. So what does a country do when it's on its knees? Well, it sounds trumpets of war, doesn't it? And it has the effect of increasing its anti-Israel rhetoric. Um, and uh, she is, Iran's been greatly alarmed at the movement of these peace accords. This is not what Iran wants. He wants to eliminate Israel. And so again, we see how it's going to drive Iran into the hands of Gog. When Gog eventually thinks an evil thought and comes down, Iran, Persia, uh, will be chief of those who want to be with her uh, against Israel. So again, we, we see this uh, byproduct of COVID uh, pushing Iran uh, towards Russia. And there is yet another interesting aspect, uh, a negative one. We see a divisive strand flowing on from COVID because of all the restrictions on everyday life. It is funded uh, or fed unrest. Uh, and the anarchy groups like um, Black Lives Matters and Extinction Rebellion, it is driven people to support these in their protests about government control. Uh, and we know that these groups are very anti-Semitic, uh, Black Lives Matter exceedingly so, although people aren't aware of this, but the background behind it is to increase anti-Semitism. 
and we know how that the EU and the Vatican are opposed to the peace moves. It's not what they want. And we know that there are nations that want control of Jerusalem. The Vatican would like control of Jerusalem. Russia wants control of Jerusalem. Turkey wants control of Jerusalem. Iran wants control of uh, uh, Jerusalem. And so these extra pressures are being put on there, which are bringing about the fulfillment of uh, Zechariah chapter 12 of Jerusalem being a burdensome stone. We can see this polarization between those countries who are friendly to Israel and those who are against her. And finally, brothers and sisters, I think COVID has come at just the right time for a time of testing for the ecclesial world. We know that we've been living for 75 years, at least in the West here, been living 75 years in peace. And that's had its destructive effect on our community. Uh, and we know from history, from biblical history, that at the ending of the great ages, um, in God's plan, there is a time of testing for the believers. And we've often wondered what that time of testing will be. And I believe that this is one of those tests of our fellowship. Because we can't meet as we normally do, we can't experience those hugs and those kisses and that being able to talk to people eye to eye. This has placed a great strain and stress on our fellowship one with another. It is indeed a, a great time of testing for us. And so, brothers and sisters, I worry that the effect that COVID is having on our community is a very subtle one and a very strong one. But again, it is, we're very thankful that we do have these technologies which enable us to talk one with another. But we have to realise this is no substitute for normal fellowship. And so we know the words that the master spoke, that when he comes, shall he find the faith on the earth? And I believe, brothers and sisters, this is our time of testing. So let's now move on and develop some of the amazing happenings that have been taking place in the past few months. So the Abraham Accords, absolutely amazing. We see prophecy fulfilling before our eyes because the prophets, and especially Ezekiel chapter 38, have spoken of the time just prior to the Battle of Armageddon. And it will be time when Gog is going to come down like a storm upon the land of Israel, is going to think an evil thought, is going to come against a people that are a land of unwalled villages, that are at rest, that dwell safely, dwelling without walls, having neither bars nor gates. So this is something remarkable. And we've pondered how on earth this could take place but now we can see that the possibility of this great change and 
we know that Gog is going to think an evil thought. So Gog is going to be part of this peace process that Israel is going to be able to dwell safely without walls and bars. Uh, and it's exactly the same word that is used of Haman, who sought to get rid of the Jews. It's also used of the Noah's world. They thought evil thoughts against God, and so did Jeremiah's compatriots against Jeremiah. So we see that uh, when Go comes down, as it says in verse 14, in that day when my people of Israel dwelleth safely, shalt thou not know it? And the word to know is an interesting one. It's a fairly common one, but it has the implication, according to Vine, of to know by observing and reflective thinking. The knower has actual involvement with or in the object of the knowing. So it's telling us 2,600 years ago that Gog himself is going to play a part in this peacefulness of Israel. And that's why it's an evil thought when seeing Israel at peace, he makes this move against Israel. So Russia, we know, has got to be intimately involved. And that uh, agrees with other passages. But just before we look at another passage, um, Ezekiel is not the only section that tells us of a time of peace and safety. 1 Thessalonians speaks of this. Obviously, in the first place, it is talking about the events which were about to unfold in AD 70, which will be about another 17 years away from when 1 Thessalonians was written. But we know from the context of what the ending of chapter 4, where he talks about the return of the Lord Jesus and the apostles and the disciples, the followers of Jesus being taken away to the Lord Jesus, the resurrection and the gathering together to judgment, that what follows on in chapter 5 is exceedingly relevant to our age. And he speaks about a time of peace and safety. When they're talking about peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness. We're not of the night, nor of darkness. So who are the they it is talking about? Well, in the context, it must be Israel. So when Israel is talking about peace and safety, then some destruction is going to come upon them. Peace and safety is only going to be short-lived. Gog is going to think his evil thought and come against them. And of course, we know that uh, those that come against Israel, sudden destruction is also going to come against them. But we're in the category of being in the light and knowing that um, the Lord Jesus uh, is going to come and intervene in the affairs of men after this time of remarkable peace for Israel. So the other passage in uh, Isaiah chapter 10, you might want to just turn back to Isaiah chapter 10, which tells us quite clearly that Russia is involved 
in uh, any peace agreements uh, in verses, uh, verse 20 of Isaiah chapters 10, uh, we read, it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such as are escaped to the house of Jacob shall no more again stay upon him that smote them, but shall stay upon Yahweh, the Holy One of Israel in truth. And that word stay is translated in different ways, trust, rely upon, depend upon, lean upon. So there's going to come a day when uh, Israel is no longer going to trust in the one that comes to smite them. And we know who the one who comes to smite them is. It's going to be go, Russia. So it's indicating that prior to the invasion, Israel is trusting in Russia to help them uh, dwell in peace. And because they're going to find that that is a misplaced peace, then they will then turn to Yahweh. And it's interesting in verse 27 of the chapter, uh, it, it says, because of the anointing. Now, in Isaiah's day, when this was referring to the Babylonian invasion, uh, the one that was going to save them from Babylon was Cyrus, God's anointed, Isaiah tells us. Um, we know that there is that Cyrus was but a pointer to the coming anointed one, the Lord Jesus, who will save Israel in their time of calamity when their enemies seek to destroy them. And Psalm 45 is a similar chapter. So I just want to take you back to uh, 2004, 16 years ago. Um, that was the front cover of the milestones. Uh, the European Constitution had just been signed. Uh, it actually didn't come to anything because uh, the, all the members wouldn't ratify it, but it laid the foundation to the Lisbon Treaty um, of 2007. But the bottom picture was of the funeral of Yasser Arafat. And there was an expectation that perhaps now, with Arafat out the way, there would come a time of peace. And so I had a chapter in chapter 11 of that milestones, uh, Israel after Arafat, peace and safety. And having looked at the section in Ezekiel 38, um, I have this to say. Surely here is indicated something most remarkable something notable, it must involve a considerable change to what we're witnessing today. I believe these changes are coming soon. Israel seems to be set on a course which will see her trusting for safety in Egypt rather than trusting in God. Sennacherib correctly assessed Israel's trust in Egypt as trusting on a broken reed. These may well, be, this, these may well bring peace, but it will be short-lived. Now, that was 16 years ago, and it didn't come then. We've had to wait this period of time for something very remarkable. Uh, and what we are seeing is indeed described as historic, making history, dawn of a new era, paradigm shift, big deal. So uh, a short time proved to be 16 years. But... Why do they call them the Abraham Accords? So let's just start from that end before we look in further detail. Well, again, I want to take you back 
to um, just a month ago, the United Nations was having one of its uh, annual Bash Israel days, and the um, United States ambassador to the United Nations had this to say. Once again, he said, we find ourselves in the council debating the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and member states will read statements packed with the same rhetorical fodder of hundreds of statements before them. It is time to stop this unproductive practice. Jews and Arabs are Abraham's children. They share Middle Eastern ancestry, culture and history and deserve a future of peace as cousins they are. So that was quite a remarkable thing to say to the UN. And he says that they are all Abraham's children. Well, we know that isn't true. Many of them are descended from Ham. And not all are from Shem and not all certainly from Abraham, but it serves its purpose well. So who are these uh, Arabs that uh, are wanting peace with Israel? Well, these are the 22 members of the Arab League. And they are a subset of the bigger Islamic uh, Muslim world. Um, and little Israel sits in the middle, uh, surrounded by all these Muslim countries. Now, the Muslims are not united. They're in two streams, the um, Sunnis and the Shia. Iran is uh, very heavily Shia, uh, 75 to 100 percent Shia. Iraq and Azerbaijan uh, have a, a sheer majority, but uh, a fewer number. Uh, Yemen, Kuwait and Lebanon uh, have a sunny majority. Uh, and the other countries, which are the same colour as Saudi Arabia and Egypt, are predominantly sunny. So although both Muslims, uh, they represent two diverse branches which result from the question of who would succeed Muhammad. The Muslim countries uh, recognize Abraham, have circumcision. Um, and as I said, many of them are not actual descendants of Abraham, but they have been conquered or have adopted uh, Islam in the name of Muhammad, who himself thought that he was descended from Abraham, um, not their part to claim the veracity or otherwise of that, but uh, he thinks he is descended or was descended from Abraham. And so that passed on to all those Muslim countries that they are all descended from Abraham, which we know from scripture they're not. Um, but this apparent common link between Jew and Arab is what is driving forward this peace movement. And we've seen remarkable events um, and uh, there are many other Arab countries who are wanting to join up. And just under a month ago, this uh, Morocco uh, newspaper went as far as naming these other countries who are expected to sign up imminently, Saudi Arabia, Oman, Qatar, Algeria and Morocco. Um, as likely candidates to sign up. Well, it was just this Sunday 
when the news broke of this historic uh, meeting between Netanyahu and the Mossad head uh, traveling to meet the Saudi crown prince uh, and along with Pompeo who was visiting Saudi Arabia. And uh, although that was only a report and a rumor, this has now been confirmed. In the first visit of its kind, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu traveled to Saudi Arabia on Sunday, where he had uh, met with Crown Prince uh, bin Salman and the US Secretary of State Pompeo, an official said in, on Monday. Netanyahu was on the ground at Neom in the Red Sea city for five hours, only the first known high-level meeting between an Israeli and Saudi leader he was accompanied by Mossad intelligence chief Cohen, according to the reports. Now, Cohen has been the one behind all the peace accords so far with UAE and Bahrain and Sudan. So this was a very significant uh, meeting. Um, the fear of the US being transited to the Democrats and Mr. Biden in particular, has put great fear because they are afraid that he wants to do a deal with Iran and this goes very contrary to what they want. They are afraid of any increased power to Iran and so this is pushing them to turn to Israel and I think that we shall see significant news coming of Saudi Arabia joining in these Abraham Accords. See, this was uh, on Monday, a fascinating article uh, from Oil Price, uh, a magazine dealing with oil matters, but it, it had this to say, and uh, I think it's very fascinating, the possibility of a full-scale Red Sea GCC Gulf um, States Alliance has the potential to transform the region Combined military economic cooperation between Egypt, Sudan, the Gulf leadership and parties in the Middle East would be a major stumbling block for any ambitions Biden might have to unite US, EU, Turkey, Qatar and Iran after January 21. By setting up a Saudi UAE Israeli Entente would confront the Biden administration with a very strong done deal with regards to Iran or Turkey-Qatar issues. Uh, and it went on to say, Israeli technology and defense knowledge could become a major part of the bargaining power for official relations with Riyadh in the coming weeks. A more anti-MBS stand by Biden and his cohorts would likely only lead to a deepening of the Tel Aviv-Riyadh-Abu Dhabi axis. Salman's dream of setting up Neon, one of the cornerstones of his Vision 2030 legacy, would be easier with Israeli technology, startups and investments are available. And just the last paragraph. As always, geopolitics will bleed into oil markets if this regional power shift does take place. A stronger and bolder Saudi Arabia supported by the UAE will be able to block OPEC-Iran issues much more easily. 
Israel's deep relations with Vladimir Putin, somehow overlooked by a majority of analysts, is another asset of influence for the MDS and MDLA leaders of um, Saudi Arabia and uh, Bahrain. OPEX plus, now the plus bit is the Russia bit, so OPEX plus Russia, could be revived by Israeli peace treaties as it will be a large and increasingly strong front against Iran. All Arab parties also appear eager to block Turkish expansion and power projections in their own backyard. Security and energy again are at play, but the US is becoming an increasingly unimportant force in the region. Now we know that America has a role to play in the region, but we're looking for Britain to replace America as the dominant power in the region. So we, we see how things are rapidly changing and opening up. So let's just go to the map um, just before we uh, get into it. Let's just put on uh, the two non-Arab nations, which are Iran and Turkey. They're non-Arab and of course uh, Israel too is a non-Arab nation. But the the Arab nations that are wishing to make peace or have already made peace, the uh, first one was uh, United Arab Emirates, uh, and the second one was Bahrain, uh, and the third was uh, Sudan, who's in the process of signing up to the peace accords. Now, these other countries who are potential are Saudi Arabia, uh, Oman, uh, Qatar, and just off the map in North Africa, Morocco and Algeria. So exciting times with these Abraham Accords. And we know that all nations are going to be blessed in Abraham, but God says, I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And so that's what is so interesting as we see these nations, these Arab nations, turning to Israel, they will be blessed. Uh, and we know from scripture that uh, this is indeed going to be the case. And that's why we read from Isaiah chapter 60, a fascinating section we read and all we've got time to do is just to concentrate on the middle verses, verses 6 and 7, where it talks about the dromedaries of Midian and Ephah and those from Sheba shall come bringing their gifts and they shall show forth the praises of Yahweh. And the flocks of Nebaioth um, shall minister to thee. They shall come up with acceptance on mine altar and I will glorify the house of my glory. Now, this is remarkable because these were enemies of Israel. But now, in the kingdom age, they're going to be blessed. Midian was Abraham's son by Keturah, and Ephah was uh, his firstborn, so Abraham's grandson. Uh, Sheba was also Abraham's grandson by Keturah. And then we have Kedar uh, was Ishmael's secondborn, so Abraham's grandson through Hagar. And Nebaioth was Ishmael's firstborn. So again, we see these three are Abraham's descendants via uh, Keturah, and these two are Abraham's descendants via Hagar. These are Arab nations who are going to be blessed in the kingdom. 
Um, and there are other passages which also speak about Arab nations being blessed in the kingdom age. Um, this is from chapter 19. I just want to turn to it. It's all up on the screen. Um, it's talking about the Egyptians, that in that day they will know Yahweh and do sacrifice and oblation and perform their vows. And it says that God's going to smite Egypt and smite and heal. We know how uh, Egypt's going to be smitten when God comes down, um, but God's going to heal and they're going to return. And there's going to be this highway out of Egypt to Assyria. Uh, and the Assyrians will come down into Egypt and they will serve with the Assyrians and Israel's going to be a blessing in the midst of the land. Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, mine inheritance. So we see the relevance of these peace talks now. It's in preparation for this great change for these countries because instead of cursing Israel, they're now blessing Israel. And it is Ezekiel who, in three passages, which shows how important it is, that reveals to us what God's basis for judgment is. And we can just condense it down into two verses in chapter 33 and verse 18. When the righteous turneth from his righteousness and commits iniquity, he shall even die thereby. But if the wicked turn from his wickedness and do that which is lawful and right, he shall live thereby. So that's where we are at the end of the journey is how we will be judged. Now, if that's the case for individuals, how much more for nations too? That if nations are prepared after long periods of cursing Israel to turn and bless them, then they will be among the sheep nations of Matthew chapter 25, who will be blessed in the kingdom. And those nations which continue to revile Israel and what Israel stands for will be part of the goat nations, which will be destroyed at the coming of the Lord Jesus and the battles thereafter. So I just want us to beware of just how close we must be to the coming of the Lord Jesus. This is uh, Leviticus chapter 23, talking about the seventh month, September, October time, which began with the Feast of Trumpets. And then on the 10th day was the Day of Atonement. And then on the 15th day began the Feast of Tabernacles, which ended on the 22nd. And then there was a solemn assembly. And I believe this is a time pattern for us, that the Feast of Trumpets, when the trumpets were blown, a symbol of resurrection, this is a pattern for us for the return of the Lord Jesus, the call to the household, gathering the saints to Sinai um, for judgment. And the Day of Atonement for Israel, the most solemn day of the year, is a pattern to us of that day of Armageddon when Israel's heart will be transformed because of its recognition of who saves her in, in that day against the enemy. 
So before the Battle of Armageddon has to take place, the Gogian invasion, how long before? Months, years, we're not sure. And then I believe that the Feast of Tabernacle is a very lovely pattern of the kingdom being fully established. And then at the end of the millennium, when the Feast of Tabernacle ends, then there is a, another solemn assembly. And that's a wonderful picture for us of the post-millennial age, when the second resurrection and judgment has taken place. All who are left are immortal, and God is all in all. And so I believe that those 10 days, we can speak of a day for a year, represents 10 years from the return of Christ to the household to the Battle of Armageddon. And then uh, the next uh, four days, I'm going to speed it up a year for 10, <coughs> sorry, a day for 10 years, represents the 40 years of the establishment of the um, <coughs> kingdom to all, all nations have submitted. So it's telling us, brothers and sisters, although we're seeing these remarkable things, we shouldn't expect to see them all fully in place before the master comes to the household. He can literally come back at any moment. So these blessings on the Arab nations, as I say, are part of their preparation for the kingdom age. We know that when Christ is back in the earth, just known to the household, that following the judgment seat, there will be a work for Elijah to be centered on the religious Jews in Israel in their preparation, the religious settlers on the so-called West Bank, um, represent about a third of the population of Israel. And these perhaps are the third that will be saved when the Lord Jesus uh, pours out his anger upon the nations in Armageddon. And many Jews perish, um, but a third are saved, as Zechariah tells us. But there equally seems to be a work going on in parallel with the local Arab nations. Who that is led by, we're not told. It will make great sense if it was Abraham himself. But if we <clears throat> just turn, if we're in Isaiah, just turn to chapter 42 of Isaiah. Um, it, it's a wonderful kingdom chapter. It's one of the servant uh, passages. And in verses uh, 10 and 11, it talks about singing to Yahweh a new song. It talks about the wilderness in verse 11, the villages that Kedar doth inhabit, let the inhabitants of the rock, Arabia Petra, sing, let them give glory unto Yahweh and declare praise in the islands. And then it goes on in verse 13 and 14 and 15 and 16 onwards, how God is going to go forth um, and save his people, verse 19. So, just in the order of the chapter, it seems to be that um, the Arab nations are, are perhaps brought in slightly before Israel are. It's an interesting concept that um, it's talking about 
uh, Kedar, um, which is Ishmael's um, secondborn by Hagar, before it talks about Israel's salvation. And uh, if you just go to Habakkuk, I've got my mark in the spot so I can quickly get to it. Um, in uh, chapter three, again, a wonderful chapter. And in verse seven, it talks about the tents of Cushan in affliction, Cush, and the curtains in the land of Midian did tremble, was Yahweh displeased with the rivers. And then it talks about his bow being revealed and verse 12, marching through the land in indignation, thrashing the heathen in anger for the salvation of my people. So again, we have, prior to it talking about the salvation of Israel, we have this reference to Cush, uh, who was Ham's son. Um, he's associated with southern uh, Arabia. And Midian is Abraham's son by Keturah, who is associated with southern Jordan. And just finally, if we just go back to uh, Isaiah chapter 21, uh, uh, not an easy section, but at the end of chapter 21 in verses 11, uh, it talks about Duma and Seir, uh, watchman, what of the night, the burden upon Arabia, uh, and the travelling companies of Didan in verse 13 and verse 14, Tima. These are all Arab nations. Um, Didan uh, is Abraham's grandson by Keturah, dwelt in the northern Saudi Arabia. And Tima is uh, Ishmael's ninth son and dwelt in southern Jordan. So there seems to be this strong indication um, of the blessings on the Arab nations have come about because they have responded. And I believe that this is the beginning, that they're now turning to Israel. They can now be blessed by God. So wonderful stage we are in, brothers and sisters. So these Abraham Accords, uh, it's a medal that's been struck. Uh, this is the a document, the Abraham Accords Declaration, signed on the White House by the four leaders. Fascinating article. You might not be able to read that, so let's just enlarge it in two parts. I'm not going to read all of it. But we, the undersigned, recognise the importance of maintaining and strengthening peace in the Middle East and around the world based on a mutual understandings and coexistence, respect for human dignity, etc., um, we uh, promote interfaith uh, and advance culture of peace among the three Abrahamic religions. We believe the best way to address challenges is through cooperation and dialogue, friendly relations, advancing the interests of lasting peace in the Middle East, respect to persons, um, and uh, we pursue a vision of peace and security and prosperity in the Middle East and around the world. And uh, under the principles of Abraham Accords, we are encouraged by the ongoing efforts to consolidate and expand such friendly relations based on shared interests and a shared commitment to a better future. So this is what they have signed up to, and it is indeed a remarkable thing. And the third country 
Sudan is even more remarkable because UAE and Bahrain have never been at war with Israel, but Sudan has. And yes, 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 why peace with Khartoum would be a true paradigm shift for Israel. This is back on the 24th of October and things have moved forward. Um, she has agreed to uh, sign up to normalization with Israel. But it was in Khartoum in 1967 that the Arab League met with their famous three no's. No peace with Israel, no recognition of Israel, no negotiations with Israel. And Sudan was the forward base for Iran for smuggling arms to Hamas and Hezbollah. One may remember uh, Israel on many occasions would wait until the consignment from Iran had just reached the depot in uh, Sudan when she would bomb that uh, consignment to smithereens. So truly remarkable, here's a nation which was at war with Israel, now turning and seeking peace with Israel. Now, there is a lot of trade to be had for Israel and the Gulf states, all being badly hit by COVID, oil prices, so they all need extra business. Among the very interesting things, one of the first things that came when um, the UAE visited, leader visited Israel, one of the first <coughs> things that they signed up to was for the construction of a, um, a link so that oil could be shipped through Israel from the UAE. If I just go to the next one, just very rapidly. There is a pipeline. It's been there a long time. In fact, it goes back to the days when uh, Iran, Persia was friendly with Israel and uh, Iran paid for this pipeline that runs from the top of the Red Sea uh, to that up to the Mediterranean port of Ashkelon. Now, Apparently, if I just turn on my uh, laser pen there, it is cheaper for the oil from the United Arab Emirates to sail all around here uh, and up into the Gulf here and to transit uh, across the pipeline to Israel and be reloaded onto a ship for onward distribution that is cheaper, apparently, than sending ships through the Suez Canal. Well, one of the reasons is the high charges that uh, are charged for sending shipping through the Suez. But the other is that uh, the Suez Canal isn't that deep, and so it limits the size of the tanker. So one of the very first things they're talking about is uh, setting things up so these uh, tankers can come from the UAE um, and Bahrain also uh, to here and Israel be used to ship the oil across and reload and onward distribution. So that would earn transit fees for uh, Israel and would turn uh, Ashkelon into the Rotterdam of the future. And of course, even bigger would be to have a, a pipeline that connected across here. Um, that may well come with the current circumstances, as we shall see. So the 
thing about this peace deal as opposed to the one with Jordan and Egypt, though that now is changing, is this is a warm peace. They want to deal with Israel. They, they need what Israel has got to help them uh, feed their peoples and uh, bring them out of COVID uh, and change their dependence upon oil. But especially the main thing is they need Israel's capabilities to defend them against Iran and against Turkey. And also they need tourism. And so now the way has been opened for tourism between Israel and these nations. And this prospect of Israel becoming a distribution hub. So now Israeli planes are beginning to fly across Arab nations, cutting drastically the journey times. So that is uh, amazing. And the expectation is that trade between Israel and the UAE will quickly surpass a billion dollars. Defence is the main thing. But the other great thing is nations now will not have to decide, well, do I deal with Israel and upset the Arabs or do we deal with the Arabs and upset the Israelis? Uh, now you can deal with both. Nobody's going to be upset. Now, of course, the ones who have suffered have been the Palestinians. Um, the money from the Arab countries and from America too has dried up so that their income has plummeted by 81%. So they're in dire need. But that's had its effect. And just last week was a report that uh, they're prepared now to restart um, cooperation with Israel. And the tax revenues which Israel gathers on their behalf, they're now beginning to accept back. Uh, and they're also mulling about this payment for terrorists. And they want to uh, restart peace talks with Israel, I say. And very quietly, the ambassadors, which they withdrew from Bahrain and the UAE, uh, when they uh, signed up to the peace accords, they have now quietly sent them back. So perhaps we're going to see even the Palestinians brought on board. So let's set this in the context of Ezekiel chapter 38. The Sheba and Dedan were the merchants of Tarshish, with all the young lions thereof who say to Gog, art thou come to take a spoil? And it's clear that these four groups are opposed to Gog's invasion of Israel. Now, who are Sheba and Dedan? Well, the Hamatic Dedan, we know, moved to Bahrain. They were military, uh, they were merchant people, trading people, sailing boats, um, and uh, migrated southward uh, into what we now call UAE and top of Oman. Um, the Semitic Dedan is associated with Al-Uwa in uh, Saudi Arabia, northern Saudi Arabia, uh, and also with uh, central Saudi Arabia. And of course, Shebas are associated, the Hamatic and the Semitic Shebas are associated with the south. Now, we still await to see Sheba um, coming into the fold. So what about the merchants of Tarshish? 
Well, we know that uh, Britain has six bases in the Middle East, at uh, Bahrain, Qatar, Omar, as well as in Cyprus, uh, Kenya, and on this island, Diego Garcia. So out of her 16 overseas bases, over a third of them are actually based in this region, which is pretty amazing. So the merchant of Tarshish is a very apt symbol of Britain as a merchant power. Uh, and as we shall see, this is uh, growing rapidly. And it's interesting, it says the merchants of Tarshish, it might just mean, well, there are lots of merchants from Tarshish, but it's interesting, isn't it, how the United Kingdom is made up of four trading nations who are consolidated together to form this trading power of the United Kingdom. So what about the young lions? Well, you in Australia are one of the foremost of the young lions. You are very friendly with Israel. You are very keen doing trade in uh, the southern Arab nations. You're very keen doing trade with Britain uh, and you support the uh, Abrahamic Accords. Uh, Canada on the other side, again, uh, a great young lion, very friendly with Israel, doing a lot of trade in the Middle East, very friendly with Israel, with uh, United Kingdom, <coughs> and again, uh, very strongly um, in agreement with the peace accords. Um, between the two is India, again, rather remarkable because this is a Hindu country, but again, uh, very friendly with Israel, again, doing a lot of trade in the Arab nations, southern Arab nations, again, very friendly with Britain, and again, uh, supports the Abraham Accords. So uh, the young lions are, are all there. And so when we look at global Britain, we see how ideally placed she is. Um, I believe that uh, God placed uh, Britain where she is, just as Israel was placed where she is for the kingdom age. Israel is, um, Britain is here, uh, placed for the future trade that she has prior to the Battle of Armageddon. So she's got all the necessary assets as a great merchant power and with this worldwide web of Commonwealth friends. And so from Britain, um, I believe that the words in Isaiah 23 have a latter-day application. We're coming to the end of the 70-year period of desolation, and Britain is going to be transformed, and she's going to do, uh, apply her trade with all kingdoms of the world upon the face of the earth. But eventually it's to do for the glory of God. She thinks she's doing it for her own glory, but God is working. These powers that she is now building, currently building up, will be used by Christ um, when the Lord Jesus needs Israel's return of the scattered Jews and Britain will be there to help. And so she's building up rapidly her maritime forces, her Two aircraft carriers are the envy of the world, the most advanced uh, vessels in the world. Uh, last month, she assembled 
biggest carrier uh, strike force for the last 20 years. And it's an embodiment of British maritime power, sits at the heart of a modernised and emboldened Royal Navy. And just last week, Boris Johnson announced the biggest investment in the armed forces and especially the Navy. So the Naval News headline was to restore Royal Navy to Europe's most powerful maritime force. Isn't it wonderful how God is using these events to transform countries in order to fulfill his plan and purpose? And there's a growing movement to make trade agreements with her old friends. And the, one of the current buzzwords is Kanzuk, uh, which stands for Canada, Australia, New Zealand and the United Kingdom. This is the flavour of the month. Um, and although these countries are far scattered, um, with modern trade, uh, distance is a little, um, isn't influenced by distance. So it is a coming together of these four Commonwealth, former Commonwealth countries with the old line Britain. And uh, this was uh, week before last. Biden's election makes the drive for closer Commonwealth ties all the more logical um, because a grouping of these countries would represent a very big market, um, not quite as big as the EU, but one with a higher uh, GDP uh, and a greater population and growth. And it will be um, a coming together or, or would form the third largest economy, um, building on the Five Eyes Alliance, offer unparalleled military reach, um, and uh, it would be a mighty force. So we shall see. But there is a lot of pressure now for uh, of coming together of the Kanzak nations, and not only those, but other Commonwealth nations too. And so this was a map back in September of the countries that uh, Britain is seeking trade deals with. It's already done them with Canada and Japan. Um, the one with Japan was a remarkable one because for the first time uh, for 47 years, Britain's been independent and able to make her own trade deal. And the one with Japan was quite remarkable. And then just uh, last weekend, secure the beginning of a Canadian deal. There's more to come, but at least there is the rollover. And so we see that things are rapidly moving. Um, the bits are in place so that Britain can trade after she has left the EU. But a lot of work still to be done, but there is the willingness to do it and the capacity there. But one of the great prizes is joining with Australia uh, and the other Pacific Ring countries in the Trans-Pacific Partnership. This is what this trust uh, um, negotiator has her eyes on. And she's saying to our old friends, Britain is back. We want to join in and be part of this trading block 
and this will open up huge markets for Britain. And uh, just on Monday, this headline that's from a, a UK uh, foreign policy report saying that the UK should be looking to the Indo-Pacific region. So again, this is where we would expect the Indian Ocean for Britain to be playing her role, uh, linking um, and defending the Middle East and Israel uh, from the Chinese and the Russian threats. So we're nearly there, brothers and sisters. I'm sorry I've gone over time, but very, very quickly. So Russia's onward march, she's, these represent the bases that she has as she rings around Israel, still negotiating with uh, Libya on those two bases there, but she just uh, signed up last week with Sudan. Uh, and uh, last month, uh, Iran says you can have naval bases, three naval bases here. And uh, just last week with the negotiations with the um, situation in Azerbaijan, um, she now can station uh, troops there. So we see that she has increased her stronghold uh, around Israel. Say last week was inking the naval base in Sudan. And uh, uh, these three bases, let's just put them on. But Iran is getting very worried about the peace accords. And so is asking uh, Russia to come and uh, put uh, ships in her ports uh, to help her overcome the threats of the Israeli Gulf Alliance. And what's interesting is reading many Iranian commentators and some in Moscow are speaking about the creation of a, a Russian-Iranian military alliance. Well, we know that's what's going to happen. They could have read Ezekiel 38, couldn't they? Um, and so just finally, in this Nagamayo and uh, Karabakh area, the peace accord, which Russia has successfully negotiated, enables her to place 2,000 Russian soldiers in this region to keep the peace. But that's brought her another step closer to uh, surrounding Israel. So we see this onward march. We see the hand of God. So finally, brothers and sisters, uh, it isn't just coincidence that all these things are happening together, that Brexit talks are being interrupted by COVID and COVID is um, driving on the Middle East peace talks and COVID is driving this anarchy. Russia is pursuing her footsteps into the Middle East and America and the EU uh, drifting apart, maybe under Biden, they might come together a bit more, but we know they've got to be separate, but certainly Britain's got to be separate. And these aren't chance random happenings, they're all evidence to us that the master is at hand. And it, it isn't just a coincidence that uh, it was just a month ago, there was a big earthquake, wasn't there, that hit Greece and Turkey, and it was centred in Izmir which meant nothing to the world. But to brothers and sisters, this is Smyrna. And surely the Spirit was saying, what, have, what did I say to Smyrna 2,000 years ago? 
Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried. You shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the ecclesias. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Now, that that was fulfilled in the past. But surely what the Spirit is telling us, what did I say? Just reread it, because that will be applicable to you in this day. We might have to suffer more, brothers and sisters, we know not. But the exhortation is, he that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. So let's overcome all these things that are being thrown against us. Let us keep the faith. Let us be strong, because we will not be able to say in that day, we didn't warn us that you're going to come. He's given us such abundant signs. So brothers and sisters, if you want to keep up to date, I send my snippets out now, sometimes every day, but normally three or four times a week of the interesting things. Uh, and quarterly updates in the Bible magazine, and of course, the yearly update, which I'm just about to commence again for 2020 uh, in the milestones. So thanks, brothers and sisters, and may God be with us in these trying times. Thank you. Thank you.